It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. Those are the opening lines from Charles Dickens's prolific work, Tale of Two Cities. That's right. And I think Dickens put his finger on something transcendent about the human experience. Hey, here's what he's unpacking in that opening paragraph. He, he's saying that life is very rarely only good or only bad. We often live in those types of binaries, don't we? But that's just not the way life is. It's, it's sometimes a, a mixture of both. It's, it's both hills and valleys. And if Psalm 23, this great poem that we've been studying over the last few weeks, had only lived in the clouds, had only lived on the mountaintops of life, it would not have been a greatest hit for the last 3,000 years. I mean, it starts out pretty good, doesn't it? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. It starts pretty good, doesn't it? But we all know that life isn't only good. There's tension isn't there? Sometimes it's the best of times and sometimes it's the worst of times and sometimes it's both all rolled into one at the same time in this thing that we call life, isn't it? I mean, when you're sitting on a roller coaster and it's about to take off, are you excited or terrified? Yes. Um, or, or I can remember at the end of last season, the Broncos were way out of the playoffs. I know that's hard for you to imagine. Okay. Um, and they started to win football games and I'm going, yes, my Broncos are winning and no, they're losing draft picks. You charger fans can feel that pain. Can't you? Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe you work in a, in a business and the business is about to launch a new product that you've been working on. Are you excited or a little bit nervous? both. Or you're performing a song that you've written. Oh yeah, let's get it out there. And oh, are people going to like it all at the same time? Or, or maybe it's moving across the country or a pastoral transition. Is it a new adventure or is it lament? Don't answer that. <laughs> no, it's a little bit of both, isn't it? All rolled into this one thing that we call life. I can remember February 18th, 2013. My mom had been getting sicker and sicker. We didn't know what was wrong with her. My son was born on that day. And I can remember my dad having my mom on his arm and limping into the hospital room where we sort of propped her up on the couch and we handed her her brand new baby grandson. And I can remember in this moment thinking to myself, am I supposed to be happy or am I supposed to be sad? Is this a moment of great joy? Or is this a moment of sadness, knowing that the trajectory just wasn't good? 
Yeah, see, David doesn't just camp on the mountaintops in Psalm 23. He takes us into the valleys also. And if you have your Bible, I'd invite you to open to Psalm 23. That's where we're going to be diving in once again this morning. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the pew back in front of you, and it's on page 474 in that Bible. David makes quite the transition from the green pastures and the quiet streams. And here's what he says in verse four of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We're going to talk about that last line next week. And today we're going to focus on this idea of the valley, because here's what David's saying to his readers. God isn't just the God on the mountaintops. He's also the shepherd in the shadows, in the valley low, in those moments and those times where things happen in life that we would rather forget or rather ignore. I think what they do is they remind us that when things are good, it's easy to mask a celebration of circumstances for faith. When really our faith is just in the circumstances. And the valley reminds us, and the valley pushes in on us, and the valley challenges us to know that faithfulness in the darkness is vital, is vital for a life of discipleship. It's not optional. If we don't learn how to walk well with God through the valley, we will not experience and know all that he wants us to experience as his disciples. We will lack the maturity that he longs for for us if we don't walk well in the darkness. I love the way that Barbara Brown Taylor, the great preacher, described the darkness. Here's what she said. She said, darkness is shorthand for anything that scares me, that I want no part of either because I'm sure I don't have the resources to deal with it, or I don't want to find out. Yeah, darkness might be cancer. It might be abuse. It might be failure. It might be insecurity. It might be loss. It might be depression. It might be loneliness. And here's the word for us as a church community this morning. God is no less the God in the shadows than he is the God in the light. And if we're going to learn how to be his disciples, we've got to learn how to walk well in that darkness. And I'm convinced, will you lean in for a moment? I'm convinced that for you and I, some of the greatest growth happens both in the valley and after the valley, if we walk through it well. So my guess is because you're so dialed in, you're going, well, Paulson, what does it look like to walk through the valley well? I'm so glad you asked. Because that's where David turns his attention in Psalm 23. Here's what he says. Even though, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And most people would think that, think that David is hearkening back to his time as a shepherd. Where he would quite literally guide sheep through valleys. Kenneth Bailey, the great scholar writes this about valleys. He said, valleys of the shadow of death are paths which wind between mountains where there are dark shadows and deep gorges. Travelers march slowly and silently in order to avoid being seen or heard by bandits. 
The fear of death is constantly in their minds. They tremble. They expect trouble or death at any time as they are passing through. There's one such valley in the Palestinian region. It's five miles long and it's no wider than 20 feet at any point in the valley. There are some parts where it would be impossible for a sheep to turn around because they're so pinned in. You ever been there? Maybe it was a phone call from a a doctor. A relationship that was crumbling or a financial situation that was just out of control. And there was just no wiggle room, nowhere to go, no way to turn around. And David would say to us, yeah, that's a little bit what life is like. That's sort of the kind of world that we live in, David would say, according to Martin Luther, a world with devils filled that would threaten to undo us. And David, the warrior poet, wants to remind his readers through Psalm 23 that pain is inevitable. (laughs) It's inevitable. It's a part of this world that we live in. No one escapes it. As the great philosopher Wesley from The Princess Bride said, life is pain, highness. Anybody who tells you different is just trying to sell you something. And I am not trying to sell you anything, Emmanuel Faith. I am here to tell you that all you need to do is open the scriptures and begin to read to know that people of faith do not avoid pain. They do not avoid heartache. They do not avoid sickness and they do not avoid death. Faith isn't the magic eraser that makes everything that's hard go away. It's a part of the world that we live in. And I'm convinced that we have to have the right perspective of the world that we live in if we're going to walk with Jesus well. Yeah, there's something in each one of us that cries out, isn't there? About the valley, about the pain, about the loss. This isn't how it should be. We're designed for something different, something better, something more. But evil and pain and suffering and valleys, those aren't just Christian problems. I can't tell you how many people I've sat across a coffee table with or in my office and they said to me, you know, I used to be a really strong follower of Jesus, but then all these things happened in my life and I'm just having a hard time reconciling how a good God could allow all these difficult, hard things to happen. You ever ask those questions? You do know those aren't questions that Followers of Jesus have to answer. Those are questions that everybody has to answer. The question of why is there evil and suffering in our world? So for the materialist or the secularist, their answer is, if they're consistent, their answer is, well, this is just a mechanism of the survival of the fittest. Those who are the fittest survive. Those who are the weakest don't. Oh, well. For New Age Eastern philosophies, they would suggest to you that evil and suffering is just a figment of your imagination. Push it aside. Don't dwell on it. Don't talk about it. And continue to move toward enlightenment. I would anecdotally suggest to you that any philosophical system that suggests that you should ignore the reality of the world that you actually live in is not worth giving your life to. 
And then there's the Buddhist and the Hindu way of looking at, at evil and suffering in our world. And what they would say is that the evil and suffering that you experience, the valleys that you experience, are because of sins or misdeeds done in your past lives. And you're being punished. So the victim actually is the reason for their own suffering. So if you're a skeptic here this morning, if you're a person who's not yet a follower of Jesus and you've just joined us and you're looking in, you also have a way of understanding evil and suffering in the world. It may fall into one of those three categories. It may not. But here's my question. As we look at the Christian understanding of why there's evil and suffering in our world, would you lay yours alongside of it and just simply ask the question, which makes more sense and which gives more hope in light of the world that we actually live in? So here's the way that the follower of Jesus would understand why there are valleys and why there's suffering, why there's evil in our world. If you want, you can flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. I think this is the best sort of one-stop understanding for this complex question, why is there evil in our world? And here's what the Apostle Paul writes. And you, people who are followers of Jesus now, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived with the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Hey, here's Paul's answer to why in the world do we suffer and why is there evil? Here's what he says. There's three reasons. Number one, the world that you live in is broken and fractured. So we experience things that we were never originally designed to experience like death and loss and pain. There's also things like systematic injustice and systematic evils that are a part of the systems of the world. Two, here's what he says. Our flesh. That there are sometimes decisions that we make that lead us toward evil. How many of you have ever made a decision that you regretted and if you could go back and redo it, you would? Raise your hand. Okay, if your hand's not in the air, you're a liar, okay? <laughs> yeah, no, we all have. And Paul says, listen, it's, sometimes it's the body longs for something. First John would say that this is the lust of the flesh. And sometimes it's the mind. We have thoughts that lead us astray and that cause us to walk into situations that we, in hindsight, wish we wouldn't have walked into. The world, the flesh, and then finally he says, and then there's the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work. He, he would say, Paul would say, and followers of Jesus have said for centuries that there is such a thing as personified spiritual evil in our world. I like the way that Dallas Willard put it. He says this, if we're to succeed in walking in the way of Jesus, which if you're a follower of Christ, my guess is you want that, and knowing the life that is without lack, it is essential that we understand and believe that the devil is real and at work. Here's why. 
if you don't understand that there is a thing in the world uh, such as evil or the enemy or the devil or the world of flesh and the devil, when bad things come into your life, if you don't have that paradigm, you have a tendency to blame God on all all sorts of things that God isn't responsible for. So David would say, pain is inevitable. Followers of Jesus have held on to this reality for the last 20 centuries. In fact, if suffering and Christianity were incompatible, Christianity would have never survived the first two centuries. You think about how much followers of Jesus suffered in those first 200 years of following the way of Jesus. No, valleys are inevitable. Pain is inevitable. They don't disprove God. They only disprove a God that allows people to avoid all pain and suffering. Pain is inevitable. We have to have the right perspective of the world that we live in. Here's the way David continues. Even though I walk, say it with me, church, through the valley. When I walk through the valley, I'm not stopping in the valley. I'm going to continue to put one foot in front of the other. Pain is inevitable and perseverance is essential. I don't know if this news story popped up in your feed in the last few weeks like it did mine. In September, some would argue that the greatest athletic feat ever was accomplished by a woman by the name of Sarah Thomas. She swam the English Channel, not once, that was actually done in 1885, and not two times, and not three times, but she swam it back, forth, back, forth, four times. Sarah Thomas swam the English Channel. 130 miles of open water swimming. I cramp up after 15 minutes trying to catch waves. Is anybody with me? Hey. Yeah. It was really interesting because she would go to the shore and each time it would take a little bit longer and a little bit longer. And I can just imagine how many times she sat on that shore thinking, I've got one more in front of me and just wanted to throw in the towel. If you were to go and read her Facebook page, the day before she left to try to accomplish this feat, she wrote this word on her Facebook page. She said, I am scared. Scared. And I thought, how many times has fear stopped me? How many times has fear stopped you? In the midst of the valley, instead of going through that, that fear gets the better of us, did you know that 83 times in the scriptures we are commanded either do not fear or fear not? Do you think that maybe it's repeated so many times because it's one of our natural tendencies as human beings to just say, instead of to continue to walk, to continue to endure and persevere, that we're just going to tap out? And I think there's two ways that fear get the better of us in the midst of the valley. The first is that it causes us to stop all together. And so this might be a word for some of you today. If you're in the midst of that valley season, if you're crying out to God, I want you to be my shepherd in the darkness and I don't know what that looks like. Here's my word for you. Do not set up a tent in the valley. Keep moving. Keep going. 
In my experience in counseling people and meeting with people and talking with people in my own life, there's two ways that I stop, two reasons I stop in the valley. Number one is because of failure in my life and you might sense the same thing in yours. That God, I've come up short. God, I haven't lived up to your standard. And so now my sin is gonna define me rather than your grace. And I just wanna speak a better word over your life today. I don't care where you've been and I don't care what you've done and I don't care how dark it has been that God's grace is greater than all of your sin. His grace is sufficient for you today. You do not need to set up a camp in the midst of the valley of your failure. You can get up and continue today to keep walking through because friends, there is right now, In this moment, no, zero, zip, condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if you're camping out in your failures in the midst of the valley and you've stopped, maybe today the word for you is through. But I know some other people, and it's not the failures of life that's caused them to stop. It's the pain of life. The things that have blindsided us that we just didn't expect come. And soon, even unbeknownst to us, we've just created this camp and we're in the midst of the valley. Here's what I want to tell you today. If you're not dead, which most of you aren't, God is not done with you. The invitation is to keep moving. Don't stop. But the other way that we get halted by fear in the midst of the valley isn't by stopping, it's by scrambling. Can you imagine a a sheep who experiences fear in the midst of the valley trying to climb up the valley wall? And we all do it in a number of different ways. A few months ago, this spring, earlier this spring, my wife Kelly and I took our dream vacation to Costa Rica. We spent time on the beach. It was amazing. And then we had the chance to hike in the jungles and the rainforests. And we were on this one hike and walking down this remote path and we walked past a little house. And after we got past the house, there was just barking of dogs from that house. And my fight or flight instinct kicked in strong. And I knew I didn't want to fight. So I started to run. And Kelly might tell this story a little bit differently than me, but I can assure you my story, my version of it is correct. It's true, okay? I wanted to protect her from the dogs, okay? And so I started to run from these ferocious dogs. And in order to get her as far away from the dogs as I could, I I assure you, I wasn't trying to push her out of the way. I I was trying to get her away from the dogs. I gave her a little nudge and my feet went out from under me and I went down onto the dirt and I was lying on the dirt when these two, the two most ferocious chihuahuas I have ever seen come tearing out of this little Costa Rican shack. And this guy says to me, my perros did not scare you, did they? And I'm like, no, I'm just looking for a coin, right? It's down here somewhere. We do the same thing emotionally and spiritually all the time. And it might look like avoiding. We're just not going to talk about that. Just put it in a vault and keep it down. As parents, we like to help our kids avoid pain. But maybe it's not avoiding, maybe it's numbing. And if they're drinking a little bit too much or 
entertaining ourselves to death, as Neil Postman would say, or eating a little bit too much or shopping a little bit too much, just a little, just whatever it is to take the edge of the valley off. Or maybe, maybe it's not avoiding and it's not numbing. It's just, let's just cover it up. Let's just pretend like everything's okay. And typically church people are pretty good at that. How's it going today? Great. God is good all the time, which is true. But inside you feel like you're just being hollowed out. There's no fast path through the valley of the shadow, friends. We don't get to zoom through it. We have to walk through it. And it's that perseverance that allows us to receive the nutrients that are on the valley floor. That's where all the lush, green, good stuff grows. You just don't want to camp out there, but you need to get the nutrients that grow there. See, the truth of the matter, friends, is that you can make it through the valley without the valley making it through you. And so the scriptures over and over are going to remind us not only so, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in the worst of times. Knowing, here's why we can rejoice. Knowing that suffering produces what? Endurance. Like perseverance is essential. And endurance produces what? Character. And character produces hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you see this process? That as we put one foot in front of the other, endurance, walking with Jesus, the good shepherd through the valley, he starts to create in us character. We become different kinds of people. People who have he says that hope doesn't disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts. If you're in the middle of the valley today, and some of you are, I know you are, keep walking. Don't give up. It's not the time to throw in the towel. It's the time to cling to your Savior his grace is sufficient for you. He will strengthen you. And Paul says that in that experience of walking through suffering, eventually we get to this point of going, God, I understand your love better than I did before the valley. Does anybody want to testify? Yeah, absolutely. And it's exactly where David goes in his poem. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you're going to stop it. Uh, because you're going to make it a little bit easier. No, that's not what he says. I will fear no evil for, will you say this with me, church? You are with me. And isn't it true that so many times when we're walking through the valley, our question to God is, God, why are you doing this? God, why is this happening? God, why me? <laughs> But if we really step back, even if we had the answer to that question, would it really matter all that much? See, I would argue that oftentimes we long for answers, but what we need is presence. We want to know why. 
But the deepest longing of our soul is to know who. Who's with me in the midst of this? The child who's having a bad dream in the middle of the night does not say to their parents, explain to me why I'm having this dream. No, they say, come to me. Yeah, pain is inevitable in this world. Perseverance is essential and presence is promised. We need an arm around us, friends, not an answer given to us. And that's exactly what the scriptures promise over and over again. I love the way that the prophet Isaiah records the words of God saying, fear not. It's one of those 83 times. For I am with you. I don't care what you're walking through today. I know who's with you, and because he is with you, you can live the fear not kind of life. Don't, don't be dismayed, Isaiah writes, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The Christian story doesn't always give all the specific answers and details as to why there's a darkness that threatens to overtake us, but it does declare to us unequivocally and consistently that there is a God who walks with us through the darkness. In fact, in fact, Christianity is the only religion that says that God does not stand out apart from the darkness, but that in the person and work of Jesus, God clothes himself in humanity and steps into the deepest darkness. Friends, that's called the incarnation, and the incarnation isn't a one-time event that happened. It's a way that God interacts with his creation. He always enters into our suffering. He always shows up. He's close to the brokenhearted. And I don't know what you're walking through today, but I am confident that I know exactly who is walking with you. In all of our venues across our campus this weekend, we've been singing this song, It Is Well, With My Soul. It was written by a man named Horatio Spafford in 1873. Spafford had lost his youngest son at the age of two. In 1871, he lost his entire fortune in the Chicago fires. And shortly after that, he sent his wife and his four daughters back to Europe on a boat while he tied up some loose ends with their financial dealings. Shortly thereafter, he received a now famous telegram. It was just two words from his wife. Saved alone. The ship had gotten into an accident and sunk and his four daughters had passed away at sea. After he was going back to be with his grieving wife, his, the story goes that as the ship he was on passed roughly in the area that his daughters passed away, he penned the words to that great hymn. When peace like a river, attendeth my way. Uh, when it's the best of times. When sorrows like sea billows roll. When it's the worst of times. Whatever my law, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Why in the world 
can Spafford write that? And why can we, with confidence, with hope, with faith, why in the world can we sing that today? But friends, it's because Jesus himself said in John chapter 16, listen, in this world, you will have trials. It's not an if, it's a when. It's gonna happen. Pain is inevitable, but rejoice. I have overcome the world. See, Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection takes all of our sin, takes all of our death, takes all of our sickness, takes all of our loss, takes all of the valleys on himself, buries them in the ground, and then walks out with new life in his hands. I don't know what kind of valley you are walking through today. I only know that suffering for the follower of Jesus is never the end of the story. It's never the end of the story. Light will one day extinguish all of the darkness and all of the shadows, including the darkest shadow of death. And one day, one day, it will only be the best of times and it shall be forevermore. But until that day, until that day, we've got to learn how to walk with our shepherd in the shadows learn how to become disciples who walk well in the dark, knowing that, knowing that pain is inevitable, perseverance is essential, and that God's presence is promised to you today, right where you are. So Jesus, good shepherd, I pray over my friends in this place, especially those that are in the valley of the shadow of death, that they would know your presence with them, that your peace would cover them, that Holy Spirit, that you would pour out the love of God into their hearts, into our hearts, in a way that would cause us to hope, cause us to persevere, and cause us to walk well with others who are in the midst of that valley. Be our shepherd, not just in good seasons, we pray but teach us how to trust you as our shepherd in every season. And the people of God all said, amen, amen.